TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this late Monday afternoon, the 17th of August. The year is 2020. This is Scoop Podcast episode... 310. I am still your host. They haven't kicked me out of the studio yet. My name is Darren Doogie Wolfson. We started this podcast April of 2016. We continue to go. Not necessarily strong at all times, especially in this COVID time, this roller coaster of a year 2020, but we continue to pump out episodes as best we can. Thank you for bearing with us. Let me start with the Wolves. They were set to announce at some point here on Monday before the day is over who will represent them virtually Thursday night during the draft lottery. The Wolves have, well, with Golden State and who is it, Cleveland, the Wolves have mathematically the best chance, or at least tied for the best chance, to land the number one pick in the October 16th draft, although this isn't a Zion Williamson year or a LeBron James year, there is really no consensus on who the top pick is. So having the top pick isn't necessarily as great as other years, but it would still be one heck of a trade chip. Let's not forget that Gerson Rosas will continue to go star hunting. Glenn Taylor brought up that possibility a couple episodes ago on this particular podcast. So I would not dismiss the Wolves working the phones. By the way, those tweeting me earlier today, shameless plug, D Wolfson KSTP saying, oh, it'll be Rosas. He'll be the Wolves representation on the draft show, the virtual draft show on Thursday. Keep in mind, he did it last year. So just think about maybe who logically makes sense. And if you really think about it, I think you'll probably end up figuring out who it is. On the Wolves slash Lynx sale front, I am told that one particular person was in town last Tuesday, flew into town privately, left town later on Tuesday. So it was an in and out, although he was here for 12, 13, 14 hours. Presumably this individual met face-to-face with Glenn Taylor. I cannot confirm that, but I'm told somebody that might even be in the driver's seat to purchase the Wolves from Glenn Taylor was in town on Tuesday. Why I say the Wolves and not the Lynxes, Glenn Taylor came out to David Shama, who used to do a lot of PR in town. He's a member of Twin Cities Dunkers. David has a blog that he maintains. He had an interview with Glenn Taylor earlier today where Glenn brought up the possibility of just selling the Wolves, that he may, and his wife, Becky, may maintain ownership of the Lynx. There are many possibilities that are out there. He even said there is the possibility that ultimately he doesn't sell. I will stop it right there and say, I sense more than ever that Glenn and Becky, let's not forget Becky is a big part of this, that Glenn has been more open-minded to selling going back multiple years than Becky has. But I'm told, or at least led to believe, that Becky has come forward and said, okay, the time is now. So I will be surprised if by, let's say, January 1st, you know, this calendar year, if we don't have news of at least a Wolves sale transaction, the links a little bit up in the air. I would still keep an eye on Daniel E. Strauss. Doesn't mean that he for sure is the front runner, but that is the name that I am doing the most homework on. Daniel E. Strauss. I've been asked a lot about KG. The Wilfs may be re-emerging. Nothing really percolating right now 
on the Wilfs front. But if something fell through with Strauss or another group, I wouldn't dismiss the possibility of the Wilfs reemerging in this equation. But right now, at least for me, the name I am doing the most homework on is Daniel E. Strauss. Mid-60s, from Brooklyn, lives in New Jersey, former limited partner of the Memphis Grizzlies. Some other notes I have written down. The Vikings had a few players in for workouts today, including linebacker Hardy Nickerson Jr. I would not be shocked if the Vikings make a move. They are looking for a linebacker. They had a veteran safety and somebody who has started games before for Houston. Jaleel Aday, nothing imminent. I texted with somebody close to Aday saying, hey, are the Vikings going to sign Aday? I was told, quote, nothing imminent, but the Vikings are still on the lookout for some veteran defensive back help. So that is an ongoing process. They will bring in a number of guys, or at least a few guys, in this COVID world, maybe not as many as a normal year, but they will bring in other guys for workouts in the coming weeks. On Everson Griffin, some background on Everson Griffin. So the Vikings, when Griffin chose unrestricted free agency, which was a wise decision going way back because the Vikings were not bringing Griffin back at what his cap number was. So Griffin was able to control the situation. He elects unrestricted free agency. I'm told way back in March, the Vikings planned as if Griffin would not be back, that they decided it was time to move on. But then April, May, June, mid-July hit. Then the end of July hits, and the Vikings are getting ready to report for COVID testing. Griffin is still out there, so the Vikings engage Griffin's camp. I don't know who initiated those talks. It's possible that Griffin's agency initiated those talks, but the Vikings were listening. They were open-minded. The Vikings initially said, yeah, you know, here's an offer. It was not a big offer. It was a low offer. They said, hey, if Everson wants to come back, this is where his wife is, his kids are, this is home base. It's an atypical time. If he doesn't feel comfortable going to another organization in this COVID world, yeah, we'll take him back. Well, he says no to the initial offer. I'm told the Vikings upped that offer, but the Vikings did not touch the Dallas offer. $3 million in base salary, $3 million more that can be earned in roster incentives. If the Vikings, bottom line is this, if the Vikings really, really wanted Everson Griffin back, if Mike Zimmer really, really wanted Everson Griffin back, Everson Griffin would have been on the practice field earlier today. So the Vikings have the same mindset now that they had back in March, that they are comfortable moving on from Everson Griffin. But that doesn't mean that they didn't at least try if he wanted to come here, come back on his you know, terms saying, hey, I'll agree to to what you're willing to do. More so on their terms. I guess they would have been his terms too if he had agreed to it. More so on the Vikings' terms. The Vikings would have welcomed him back with open arms. But I'm telling you, they are not shedding any tears over an Egan that Everson Griffin is now a Dallas Cowboy. Bouncing all around because I scribbled a bunch of notes down, I was told that there was a group, again, I'm keeping an eye on Daniel Lee Strauss, but that there is slash was, I don't know if it's past tense quite yet or not, but that there is slash was a group that had an exclusive negotiating window. It's possible that window expired on the 15th of this month. It's possible that that window has been extended. I'm still digging deep on this storyline because I think it's one heck of a storyline when it actually takes place. And it is when, not if, that Glenn Taylor minimum sells the Wolves. The Rockets, who don't have a draft pick, remember they've done a virtual interview. I've reported with Zeke Naji, the former Hopkins High School star. They've shown interest in Daniel Oturu, the former Gopher. So again, the Rockets don't have a draft pick. The Wolves have three draft picks. 
Gershon and Daryl Morey know each other very well. Could there be a potential trade match there with the Rockets looking to acquire a first-round pick, potentially that Brooklyn Nets pick from the Wolves? Something to keep an eye on. I mean, the Rockets are doing all sorts of background work on different draft prospects. I would think at some point, you know, a lot of these talks, at least they will attempt to turn into action, that the Rockets are legitimately looking for a draft pick. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is approaching, heck, fast approaching, right? Two weeks from today, Brandon Workman, pending free agent reliever, Boston Red Sox, is a name to keep an eye on. Now, hey, I think there's going to be 10 teams that make an offer for Workman, so it's not like it's just the Twins, but just a name to keep an eye on. A reliever, you know, just as a whole, not necessarily that specific name, but as a whole, that would be a position to keep an eye on if the Twins end up striking. It's not easy to make trades right now, you know, for myriad reasons. Who knows if they'll end up making a trade, but they're having conversations behind the scenes, trust me, and they're having conversations with teams. So at least the Twins are at least scouting the market, seeing who exactly is available. And so many teams feel like, with eight teams making the playoffs in each league, so many teams feel like they're still in this thing that they're not quite ready to sell. But clearly the Boston Red Sox are a team to keep an eye on when it comes to the trade deadline. Chet Holmgren, Minnehaha Academy, the number one player in the country basketball-wise for the class of 2021, had a productive virtual meeting with Richard Pitino and the Gophers last week. Yeah, I still think the Gophers are a long shot, but hey, the world is is a changing, right? You know, does it make sense to go to Spokane, Washington at this point if you're Chet Holmgren? I still think the G League is a legitimate option for Holmgren. They are nowhere near making an offer. That wouldn't happen for many, many months, but I would not discount the possibility of Chet Holmgren signing a six-figure contract with the G League. The Gophers still remain in a prime spot for Eric Wilson, the Harvard transfer offensive lineman from Benilde St. Margaret's, but he did tell me LSU is picking up its interest in him, but, you know, he's he's bled maroon and gold in the past. Heck, he went to college game day last November. The Harvard season was over. He was back in town for Thanksgiving. He told me a few weeks ago that he and a buddy actually went to campus, went to college game day. I mean, in many ways, Eric Wilson bleeds maroon and gold. Really good transfer offensive lineman who has a chance to play in the NFL. The Athletic, the first to report that David Vanterpool's name has come up with the Bulls. Vanterpool's name is going to keep coming up for certain jobs. I don't know if he's ready to get a job right this second, but he is highly thought of across the league, helped develop Dame Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Highly thought of across the league, so I'm not shocked that the Bulls have some interest, but I guess I would not make him at this point the betting favorite to get the Wolves job. The Wolves remain optimistic that they will get some sort of clearance to play five-on-five in September. That's all they want. You know, they never wanted or at least weren't pushing forward an eight-team bubble or a four-team bubble. They just want permission to be able to play five on five. And I would say it's trending in that direction. It wouldn't be a mandatory mini camp, but many guys would show up. I don't think James Johnson is flying up from Miami for a September mini camp, but a lot of guys would be there. And all the Wolves want is just to be able to play some five on five, go over some film, bring up some Iowa Wolves, you know, really get some good competition in September ahead of whenever next season starts. Does it start in December or is it later? Briefly on the wild, we were at the Hendrickson Foundation charity golf event in Prior Lake last week. We had a chance to talk to Dean Evison. Evison was glowing about picking up 
Kirill Kaprizov at the airport. He is now quarantining, but he said Kaprizov has had a chance to connect with some teammates, presumably virtually FaceTime or Zoom or Skype, not necessarily yet in person. But he also said that that Kaprizov's English is way better than a lot of us realize. Like he did that press conference, that Zoom press conference a few weeks ago. He did it all with a translator. But Dean made it sound like the English is further along than a lot of us realize. It is going to be a fascinating October for the Wild. The sense is it doesn't mean that they'll find willing partners, but the Wild are looking to do some big things. Number one center, you know, potentially buying out Devin Dubnik. I just think it's going to be, and this is coming from somebody that doesn't track a ton when it comes to the Wild, but I think it's going to be a fascinating October for the Wild. I think they're going to try to do a bunch of different things. So I'll make sure that I pay as much attention as possible. Although who knows what the heck school is going to look like for my soon to be fourth grader, soon to be first grader, how involved my wife and I need to be, how much they're going to be home. I mean, they're going to go back to school for a little bit in September, but I just saw today, the University of North Carolina has all these positive tests. They are now going from in-person learning to 100% virtual learning. So I just wonder if we end up trending that direction sometime in October with having our kids, our elementary-aged kids, at home full-time. Fingers crossed, though, that we can get through this and at least return to some sense of normalcy, even if you have masks on, some sense of normalcy where these kids can be in school at least a little bit. Oh, by the way, the Vikings have asked about free agent Clay Matthews. There's nothing that's imminent on that front, but his name has come up. He's got the same representation, same agency as Everson Griffin, so it might have been during the Griffin chatter, but I'm just saying with the Dom Capers connection, just you know, a name to keep an eye on as he is still out there. Nothing on Ziggy Ansa. I've been asked a lot about Ziggy Ansa. Jadavion Clowney still wants the moon. He wants more than the Vikings have cap-wise, so he'd have to come down big time for the Vikings to have any sort of prayer, which I don't see Jadavion Clowney ending up in purple anytime soon, at least Vikings purple. All right, where do I want to begin interview-wise? I have a bunch. I could save some of these too. You know what? Let me start with Joey Gerber. Why is that a high school Maple Grove native? Cool story. So out of Wyzetta High School, lightly recruited. Really, his only college option was the University of Illinois. Pitches for the Illini in Champaign his freshman year. Went okay, but he ends up playing town ball that next summer. So he wasn't good enough even for the North Woods League. Wasn't good for one of these college leagues, these summer leagues. Ends up playing town ball, you know, rededicated himself, looked at himself in the mirror, had a coming to Jesus did a bunch of different things, ends up increasing his velocity, working his ass off. Long story short, Joey Gerber, 2015 Wyzetta High School graduate, ends up as a ninth-round draft picker, was it eighth round? Top 10 round, but later in the top 10 rounds of the Seattle Mariners. Only pitches in one. It was the 2018 draft because by the time he signed, the minor league season was just about done. So he only had one full minor league season, 2019. Didn't even pitch a ton but pitched enough to impress the Mariners, good organization to be in if you're trying to climb the ladder, an organization that needs all sorts of help. So he's on the 60-man taxi squad, you know. but then he ends up getting called up to the 40-man, added to the 40-man recently, and instantly added to the 28-man. So long story short, Joey Gerber, Wyzetta High School, ends up making his Major League debut earlier this month. He is still a fixture in that Mariners bullpen. I had a chance to catch up with Joey the other day. So add another Minnesotan to the Major League 
fraternity. I guess right now you think about who? Nick Anderson. Who am I forgetting at this point? I mean, there's a ton of minor leaguers, like Jake Irvin of Bloomington is on the Nationals taxi squad. But who am I forgetting? Nick Anderson, who lives in Minneapolis from Crosby, is with the Tampa Bay Rays. Who am I leaving out as a Minnesota native? I guess Caleb Thielbar from Randolph in the Twins bullpen, but he's now a full-time South Dakota resident, but he counts, right? He's from Randolph. But it's a tiny fraternity of Minnesotans in the major. So add Joey Gerber to that list. Here's my recent conversation with the former Wyzetta High School star, now member of the Mariners bullpen, Joey Gerber. Joey, let's just start with, well, let's start with that tweet that you sent out a handful of days ago from, from four summers ago. If I had told you when you were pitching for that particular team that summer, four summers ago, that four years later, you'd be in the majors, what would you have told me? Oh man, I did. I would have been speechless. Honestly, like I, I don't, I wouldn't have believed you first of all, because I mean, you know, when you're playing on a town ball team, like I wasn't good enough to really even play in a college league. So, I mean, that's four years. I mean, that's a lot of people that's their fifth years, fifth, like, you know, they're a retro senior or whatever. And that's their fifth year of college ball. And I mean, to be in the show, it's, I'm, I'm pretty grateful. I'm pretty happy about it. All right, so let's pick up your story then from from that point on. I guess what changed? I mean, what has you now in the big leagues? Sure. Um, A lot of it has been my approach, um, my mindset for going about, like, actually taking my baseball career seriously more than just, like, okay, I'm here playing baseball, you know, as a hobby kind of. A lot of it was, okay, I got stronger, and I actually focused on what I needed to focus on to get better at baseball. Whereas before that, like, I was, you know, high school is high school. It's, I was just doing good enough to be a little better than the competition. Um, And then my freshman year of college, I was just (laughs) trying to get acclimated to, you know, being in a college and just, you know, getting my feet under me with all baseball. And it was, I was just kind of, yeah, I don't know. It It was, it was a bit more of a struggle than after that, at least I figured out what I needed to do to actually be successful. I suppose it starts with the fastball. Like, what was your velo then and now? Are you, like, in the mid-90s? Yeah, okay. So, when I was in co- – let's see. I was a freshman in college. I was, like, 86, 87, um, which, you know, was good for high school. But in college, if you throw 86, 87, you will, you'll get hit around if you don't have anything else. I didn't really have a breaking ball either. So, we had a first-rounder. His name was Cody Sedlock. And – he, he threw like 93, 95, and I saw if you get really strong and you throw really hard, you get more opportunities. And so I figured if I just lifted weights and uh, tried to throw harder, I'd get more opportunities. And that's basically I've, I've had a pretty steady progression. Um, I've been down a little bit this year. I'm throwing like 94 this year, but last year I said about 95. So And last game I was back to 95, so hopefully I'm picking back up up from where I left off, you know, so. Take me back to, to that phone call that you made to, to mom and dad when you said, hey, guess what? They're adding me to the 40-man, and then ultimately they add you to what the, at the time, what, the 28-man roster, and you get called up, and, and you're there in the big leagues. Sure. Um, yeah, man, I, I remember the, the meeting I had with my pitching coach, we were talking about my slider or something, you know, it was kind of an eyewash conversation, and then they told me I was going to the show. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I, I didn't 
full it didn't fully sink in for a little bit until I really called my parents. Um, when I called my parents, I I honestly I didn't really know how to tell them. I was like, hey, I'm going to the show, and I think they were confused and they were pretty speechless too. So it was it was a pretty, it was exciting. It was it was, I, it was a great moment. It really was. How much pride do you take, Joey? And I mean, it's a pretty small fraternity of of guys that are in the majors right now that played Minnesota high school baseball. Like I think of who Brad Hand. I think of Nick Anderson. And is it just you? Am I forgetting anybody? Is it just the three of you? Honestly, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's not a lot of people, you know, when I was a kid and like looking at the stuff, all I knew was Joe Maurer, you know, I didn't really know anyone. There's just not, Minnesota's not a baseball hotbed, you know, it's not like Arizona or Florida or a place like that. So you, you might be right. I honestly don't know. I can't think of anyone. And Brad Hand is the, and yeah, that's, it's hard. It's hard for me to think of anyone. Do you think it'll be harder? The minors, but yeah, oh yeah, there's a lot of guys in the minors. Yeah, I mean, I was over at Minnetonka High School with Jake Irvin and Sam Thorson oh, yeah. of the Gophers just signed with the Cubs, and Jake Stevenson and Dalton Sawyer, and all those guys were over there. But a lot of guys just haven't made it to the majors like like you have. Do you think now it'll be tougher, Joey, to sustain to maintain your position? It's one thing to get, but how much more of a challenge is it to make sure that you maintain that spot in the majors? Sure. Um, well, I mean, it's definitely harder. I mean, that's what they tell you all the way getting up are like player development people. They're always like, yeah, you, a lot of people can get to the major leagues, but it's a lot harder to stay there. So you have to really, you know, it's, it's sticking with what got you there. And like, if, especially like with the Mariners, at least how we've been doing things, my understanding at least is if, if they put you there, they're not going to put you in a position where they think you're not going to succeed. So if you're there, you're good enough. You just need to do what actually got you there. And you need to do it on a consistent basis. That's the hardest thing to do in baseball is to be consistent. It's the guys who are consistent that stay there. Because there's guys, there's guys in high A who throw 100 miles an hour with better breaking stuff than anyone you see in the major leagues. Like, that's true. It's just they can't do that or throw strikes or do it on a consistent basis. So there's, there's guys with better stuff than me, you know, in the minor leagues. It's just – I, w- I was very consistent last year. I did have good stuff, and I need to main- continue to keep doing that. Where do you fall pecking order-wise? Why is that a high school all-time athlete? Like, I would think, like, James Laronitis might be, like, <laughs> near the top, but, like, Joey Gert, you, you got to be somewhere, like, somewhere soon thereafter, but there's a lot of guys. You know, I, that's not something I really think about. There's a, I'm sure there's a lot of really good hockey players or something, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but – when I was at YZ, I've definitely become a better actual athlete than in high school. That's for sure, man. Uh, but where am I? I that's, honestly, that's not something I think about too much. It's That's pretty cool, you know? How many text messages, phone calls, congratulatory messages did you get on social media? Like, have you caught up? And, and did anybody reach out to you that maybe surprised you? Uh, you know, there weren't really any surprises. It was mostly guys, you know, from college or pe- people I knew. No, not too many. There's a couple of random people who, you know, DM'd me on Twitter saying congrats and things like that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it was it was pretty standard. Yeah, it, it was. I you got it. I get told I got told like a day before I actually uh, got added to the roster. Hey, I was getting called up, so I had to I had to only tell like a handful of guys like, hey, I'm actually. <laughs> like getting called up, please don't leak any of this information. So it was mostly just family who I told. Um, but yeah, no, it was my, my phone started blowing up after the Mariners like did a release press release about it. So 
And then don't film it, Joey. I'll let you go after this now that the connection is better. You were breaking up when I asked you about the pool host, you know, at bat. Yeah. Just take me through that that particular moment facing a future Hall of Famer. Honestly, you know, it was just like another AB. I mean, when you get on the mound, like, you're focused on what you need to do. You execute your pitches. Um, And I, you know, I, I honestly wasn't – it was more of an after-the-fact kind of thing where it was like, wow, I got Albert Pujols out. Like, in the moment, I was just like, okay, I have to – get ahead of him and, you know, put him away. I, he grounded out, obviously, it didn't KM, but, you know, it was, it was, it was a cool experience. It was, it was really fun. I also got to face Trout the, the day after that or two days after that. So you got that him out, I saw. I got yeah. him out, too. He, he got him on a slider. It worked well. <laughs> so uh, it was, that was a fun series for me. And then I'll let you go after this. Like, okay, so I asked you about, you know, what was that call like to mom and dad? Like, normal circumstances, they would have hopped on an airplane they would have yep. flown to Seattle. They would have been in the stands. Like, this has been a crazy year, an atypical year for all of us. But, like, is there some sense of satisfaction that you can look back at 2020? Because for a lot of people, 2020 is going to be one of those just cross it off, right? Like, we want it out of our memory banks. But for right. you, just like everything, I mean, this is everything you've, you've dreamt of, presumably, and it came to fruition. So, like, for you, you're one of the rare people that can say 2020, great year. Yeah, you know, hey, you're right. It, it worked out for me. Hopefully, hopefully, it continues to work out well. Um, yeah, there's a there's because obviously there's just a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, and there's you know there's bigger things than baseball out there. So I mean, my family's healthy, my friends are healthy. Um, so I mean, that's that's good. But yeah, it's been it's been quite an experience. I'm I'm happy to be here for sure. That's right, Brad Hand. As I'm setting up the interview with Joey, I forgot to mention Brad Hand. How did I forget about Brad? I was just texting with him a couple weeks ago when he was in town when there was some uncertainty about whether that Twins and Indians series would take place. With all the testing happening last second, I was texting with Brad, who doesn't live here anymore. He said his family, last time I chatted with him, also uprooted. But yeah, Chaska High School. I always debate Spencer Tollickson, best Chaska athlete. Tollickson or Brad Hand? How did I forget about Brad Hand? But still, nonetheless, it is a small fraternity. All right, I'll now transition to my recent conversation with Freddie Gillespie, St. Paul native, former big man at East Ridge High School, took an atypical path to being an NBA draft prospect because he started his collegiate career at Division Three Carleton in the Mayak. Then Jared Nunes, Twin Cities native, Baylor assistant, he knew about Freddie anyway. Freddie got injured during his Easteridge run. If he had stayed healthy, he would not have gone the Division Three route. But Jared Nunes finds him, brings him to Baylor, initially walks on at Baylor, earns a scholarship, was all-conference this past season. Heck, if there was an NCAA tournament, Freddie Gillespie and the Baylor Bears would have had a legitimate chance to win a national championship. Now he hopes to get drafted. I would say it's up in the air. He has a chance to go second round on October 16th. He was recently in town for a break from his training in Miami, but there is no such thing as a break. So when he was back in town, he was over at Training House training with J.D. Jones. That's the older brother of Tyus and Trey Jones. So when Freddie was in town training at Training House in Egan, I connected with him. Here's my recent chat with NBA draft prospect Freddie Gillespie. Freddie, let's just begin with the workout you just went through. Take us through how exactly what you worked on today translates to the basketball court. Um, yeah, so J.D. Jones, is, I mean, you know, he knows his stuff. Um, you know, he works with a lot of good players. So basically, I mean, just um, working on, like, mobility, um, being able, a, able to move your feet. Defense is a big part of my game. Um, 
So, you know, he's like, you know, just trying to add that extra edge, that extra inch, get that um, extra 1% better that kind of makes a difference between, um, you know, sticking in the league and getting cut. Um, so he's just trying to, trying to give me that um, move, move, move my feet better, get the technique right, and um, improve my, on my natural ability. You already move incredibly well. Like JD came over and said to me multiple times, man, Freddie moves really, really well. That's something you take a lot of pride in, I'm guessing. I do, yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of a big part of my game. Um, so it's something that I hope that uh, sticks out when people watch me play. I mean, like I said, and, and that's just kind of been just kind of naturally, kind of just I've always picked up on. So having that, uh, that good technical training, um, it should take me to the next level. What's it been like just navigating these, these atypical, these crazy times? Like normally, as we talk here in August, I mean, you would have already been in summer league. Like you'd know where you're going to spend likely the next at least year, if not multiple years. But just everything is just so much up in the air. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely different. Um, like it is for everybody, not just basketball players or professional athletes. Uh, it's different, but um, I think it's good because, um, you know, it gives for me personally, I've taken the time to kind of really improve my game. Um, you know, a couple of my, my coaches told me, you know, look, look at the positive. You got, you know, three extra months, four extra months to get better um, and improve your game from what you already are at. So that's why I've kind of taken that time to focus on and really kind of honing my craft. Specifically, what what are you focusing on as you take your game to the pro level? Um, stretch those, like I said, um, again, um, of course, the mobility, stuff like that, just getting 1% better at that. Um, I've, uh, I can uh, hit, hit the three now a little, little bit, a little, little bit consistently. I've had that to my game. Um, haven't been in an official setting yet, like a, with the, but um, and pickup, it's looking pretty good. Um, but yeah, other stuff, just, you know, improving offensive IQ, improving defensive IQ, um, you know, getting stronger, work, working my body and, and uh, things like that. I mean, you mentioned stretching out your range. We saw you make five consecutive three-pointers in there. I mean, just the way the NBA game has changed even in the last couple years, you know, somebody of your size needs to be able to extend out the defense. 100%. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's something that you got to be able to do, and um, it's with the changing times. Like I said, I mean, basketball is an evolving sport. Um, that's, that's part of the beauty of it. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, you can get away with it in college. If you want to stick in the NBA, you know, it's something that you got to be able to do. Luckily, I think I'm a quick learner, quick study, and, um, but uh, it's, it's looking pretty good. How exactly does your game translate to the NBA level? Like, you know, you talk about taking pride in your defense. I mean, do you feel like, you know, you have the ability to guard fours and fives? Yeah, um, so like, yeah, probably, I think I got a pretty good defensive versatility. Um, and I think, you know, outside of a couple guys, outside of the superstars in the NBA, um, guys gonna be able to guard and um, guard multiple positions. And I think I'm capable of doing that. I mean, I've got a good defensive IQ. I can um, adjust on the floor well. Um, I can read offenses pretty well. Um, so that's, that's, that's one plus. And also my ability to like set screens, play off the ball, be in the right spots, make, make the right cuts, make the, do the right things in the offense, um, and put myself in the right positions to score and help my teammates score, um, I think all help all make me an, an attractive um, NBA player. Take us through the last couple months. Where have you been training? Who have you been training with? Um, so let's see. Uh, I've been out training in Miami um, with, uh, with, the, with um, a guy named Ronnie Taylor with the Taylor Sports Group. You might see him on Instagram. Um, I've been, with him, I've been uh, working a lot with him, um, almost exclusively with him. Um, so that's where I've been mostly, and that's, we, you know, I come in there for either you know, three to five hours, six hours a day, depending on the day. Um, we do, we're there six days a week. Um, came back here um, just for like a quick week off. But of course, you know, you can't really take a, a week off here. So, you know, I came out here and I'm working with the here at Training House and uh, with JD trying to still, you know, improve, improve my game even on vacation. Are there some guys, are there other draft prospects that you're working out with or NBA players? Um, yeah, so let's see, uh, down there, um, Isaiah Todd, John DeCaminga, they were down there. Um, you know, so, so those G, the guys that took that, uh, that G League deal. 
Um, then a couple players, um, like a couple, couple guys that played with in college, Desmond Bain, he's down there. Um, Hanif Cheatham went to Nebraska, he's there. And a couple of the pro guys will come through. Um, you know, James Harden played there. Uh, he, he came in for, 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 for a little workout. Um, Bizback Biombo, guys like that, they'll come, they'll come through every now and then and, um, and, and get, uh, get some work in. Specifically on the two NBA names you mentioned, Harden, Biombo, did you have a chance to pick either's brain just to just to get any sort of feedback on what NBA life is like? Um, not those two. There's other. I had a chance to talk to, to uh, Michael Beasley, um, and uh, I had a chance to kind of talk to John Wall for a little bit. Um, Mario Chalmers. I mean, not John Wall. I'm sorry, Mario Chalmers, not John Wall. I had a chance to talk to those two. And, um, I mean, they were good conversations. They were just like, you know, Talking about, um, for me, like, you know, the defensive ability, playing your role, that's the biggest thing they both emphasized on. Finding your role in the NBA and then just doing it at an elite level. Um, they said that's, 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 that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, always make sure you get better, always make sure you're trying to improve your game, but knowing who you are as a player and um, being the best at that um, is something both of them really emphasized. How many NBA teams have you interviewed with? Uh, I don't know the exact number. I know 16 to 20, I think. So, so I mean, most of the league. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. the same way to say it, most yeah, of the league. Yeah, so, the league, yeah. Like, what are some common questions? I mean, are a lot of the interviews all the same? Um, yeah, common questions. You know, who are you? Tell us your background. Um, you know, talk about, you know, your teammates. I mean, like, not like yourself as, yourself as a teammate, um, things like that. Then there's a couple, you know, odd questions in there. Um, one of them was like, you know, which Marvel superhero do you compare yourself the most to? Um, we had some weird ones like that, um, but for the most part, standard questions about, you know, who, um, like what can contribute to a team, um, what do you like, where do you self being, okay, well, like what are your goals, things like that. So what's the answer, Iron Man? <laughs> I did. Uh, I said Captain America. I said because uh, he kind of had a transformation. He kind of like started off where he he had the the mental like the the will, but not quite the body and the skills yet. But then, you know, he had the whole transformation, and then. Uh, but it was, uh, what, it was what was in his heart and his, and his motivation that really made him who he was. So I said that. I mean, your story's been well documented, but let me try to tell it a different way. Maybe you've heard this, but like I'm thinking if, if you don't rip up your knee at Eastridge, like that's the only reason I think, maybe not the only, but like you would have taken a different path. It might not have been starting at Division Three if you don't rip up your knee. Yeah, um, 100%. I mean, you know, that and a couple other injuries. I mean, you know, when you're off the floor, it's hard to get better when guys get, the, you know, when guys come in here and do stuff like I just did today are doing that and you're, you know, just trying to rehab. Um, and that, that takes a lot of your time. It's hard to get better. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's something I dwell on. It's something to kind of imagine, but I, I, I don't dwell on it. And, you know, I'm grateful for the story opportunity that I did get, even if it did come, come a bit later. Was it cool to interview with the hometown team, the Timberwolves? It was actually cool. It was like kind of like I was like I remember like going to like watching like Kevin Garnett play and okay, so and like going to his, going to those games. So it was weird, but uh, it was still it was, it was cool. Do you have any sense if if a there's going to be a combine and b if there is, will you have a chance to to get there or you know just talking to your agent? Like, is the idea just to maybe put together some videos you know virtually and and send them off to teams that way? Um. So yeah, with the to answer the combine question. Um. So kind of like the rumors going around, and um, so is that since the bubble looks like it is working, um, with the you know they think they've gone three straight weeks without a without a positive test, um, they like so they think you know maybe a combine might be possible, just violating maybe 60 people, having have them all do the workouts in that one place and then leave. So that's kind of been a, an idea that I've heard that's been thrown around. Um, as opposed to my invite, I did make that uh that, that list of 105. Um, I know that they they sent out invites to the to the um to kind of the underclassmen lottery picks because they had to make a decision. Um, so I think maybe if they decide to have it, we'll get more concrete. They'll start sending invites out to the guys who are for certain out of it now, are still in the draft now. Um, so yeah, um, as terms of other things, yeah, just 
put videos out there, you know, put your clips out there, show yourself working. Um, I think people see it. And I think also, you know, my uh, reputation of having a good work ethic um, precedes me. So I think teams know that, um, you know, I'm, I stay in the gym. Yeah, I mean, I would think that's, that's a key selling point when you're interviewing with these teams. Like, you just say, just watch the Baylor tape. You can see or talk to Coach Drew, talk to Coach Nunes, whoever. Like, they'll just tell you, even in practice, just, you know, my work ethic is A+. Plus. That's what I say. I say, you know, I say if you want to, you know, they ask, you know, like, like what's, your work, what's your work ethic like? And um, I say, look, say, I say, go back in on Synergy and look at my Division Division Three freshman year film and then look at my film from last year. Um, like, that didn't just happen. That came from a lot, a lot of hard work. Um, and so you'll see two completely different players. Um, so I think just looking at the progression of my game um, shows, shows my work ethic. Let you go after this, Freddie. Just how cool is it? And I think we talked about this months ago via Zoom, but now in person, just, I mean, you, Zeke Naji, Daniel Oturu, I heard you ask JD about Daniel, you know, and, and his brother Trey and, and Tyrell Terry, like five of you from the Twin Cities. Like, how cool is that? Um, it's actually, it's, it's, it's so cool. I mean, um, I think people take Minnesota basketball seriously now, just uh, just like around the country. I think they there's a lot of talent in this area. Always tell people, I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's cold here a lot of times, so indoor sports are popular. I said, so um, it's not just hockey, we have basketball too. Um, but it's so cool, I'm just, you know, I think I, I got to play Daniel True in high school. Um, you know, of course, you know, Trey, Tyus, saw them. I mean, they were at Apple Valley, just that whole group. Um, so just kind of cool to see everyone kind of get, get in their shot and, um, you know, make a name for themselves. Actually, one more just hit me too. What about just the Baylor-Minnesota pipeline? I mean, they just landed the commitment from, from Kendall Brown, yeah, yeah. former Eastridge kid, and. Uh, you got Danger going down there, and, and Nuni Omot was there. You were there. Like that's interesting with with that Minnesota connection to Waco. Yeah, uh, I put that at um, with uh, actually uh, JD, uh, his cousin. Um, you know, um, Jared Nunez. He's at Baylor. Uh, coach, we call him Coach New. Um, you know, he's from Minnesota area. You know, he's one that helped me get down there, and then he helped he helped recruit Nuni. So I think he's played a big part. You know, and his um, you know his father is plays plays a big part in the basketball scene here too. Um, so I think that's part, of, that's part of a big part of it, that Coach Drew likes having, having that foothold here now. And he's getting some good talent, so, and I'm happy. Freddie Gillespie. I'm biased because Jared is a friend. I just wish at some point along the way Jared could have found his way onto the Gopher staff. But I know this much. Scott Drew loves having Jared there in Waco, Texas. That Baylor program is turning. It really has going back years, but it really has – you know, pretty much solidified itself as one of the best, if not, you know, top two, top three in the Big 12, one of the best, you know, heck, in many ways, at least off of last year in the country. So Jared Nunes doing great things in Waco, just landed Kendall Brown. I mean, just go up and down the list. Baylor's recruiting class for 2021 is really, really good. It's Kendall Brown and a couple other guys. Jared Nunes does a great job on the recruiting trail. I was with Richard Patino earlier today working on something longer term, was actually able to connect with him in person, socially distanced, of course, but it was good to catch up with Coach Patino. They haven't sent in the Boothgotch waiver yet. There really isn't a rush. I mean, there's no belief that the season is actually going to start on time. So they have some time. That one's a no-brainer. The NCAA will approve the Booth Gotch waiver whenever they send it in. The NCAA did ask for further information on the Liam Robbins waiver, who, by the way, has looked phenomenal, I'm told, in these on-campus workouts. Liam Robbins, the transfer, the big man from Drake. There is optimism still that the NCAA will approve his waiver. That's assuming we have some semblance of a season. But if so, a starting five, I was talking to Patino about this, a starting five of Carr, Kausher, 
Boothgotch, Brandon Johnson, and Liam Robbins with Jamal Mashburn Jr., Isaiah Enan, others off the bench. Maybe Eric Curry can contribute a little bit. They're holding him back a good amount right now. But, I mean, they have some guys. I mean, just that starting five. They could win some games. Now, the Big Ten is going to be really, really good. Like preseason, the Gophers are picked to finish like 10th or 11th. That's how good the Big Ten is. But I do like that starting five. And I know that Richard Patino really likes that starting five. This assuming the NCAA does the right thing and grants immediate eligibility to Robbins and Gotch. By the way, almost all guys are on campus. Carr and Mashburn Jr. and Johnson will be here by the first weekend of September. Mutoff arrives from Turkey next week, but he'll have to quarantine for a bit. But that'll be all the guys then back on campus. The rest of the guys are already on campus. All right. While I was over on campus today, I heard the football team, P.J. Fleck had his mic. The football team was out on the practice field. They're grinding hard, even though there really isn't, to use the cliche, any light at the end of the tunnel. It's not like we even know for sure that there will be a spring football season. We certainly know that there won't be any fall football in the Big Ten, but the Gophers were still grinding hard. They still feel like there's a purpose to be out on the practice fields. But I did solicit some reaction when the news came out last week of no Big Ten sports in the fall with an emphasis, the spotlight on football. Let me first start with my conversation with Omar Douglas, one of the best receivers in Gophers history. His son Demetrius is one of the top Gophers receivers now. Here's my conversation from last week with Omar Douglas. Omar is a proud alum. Heck, is one of the greatest receivers in Gophers history. As a parent, your reaction to the news now being official that we will not have Gophers football come this fall? Uh, obviously, it's disappointing uh, that we're not having uh, ball this fall. Um, we're used to a certain routine, right? I, I still, to this day, in the in in August. When I smell grass being cut, I start having memories and thoughts of being out practice. I know they don't practice on on grass anymore. They're on synthetic turf, but it it means something. Um, There's a ritual uh, that goes with that that's really important. So it's disappointing that we won't be playing, but kind of understand with some of the uncertainties and unknowns at this moment why they made that decision. You say you kind of understand. Do you fully understand? Okay, I'll say I will. I fully understand because of the uncertainties, right? I, I can list off a number of things as well myself. Um, I know things that stay in my mind, again, is the ability to, to perform the game. If, a, if multiple student athletes test positive, do they have to sit out 14 days? If they then sit out 14 days and a certain number of your team um, test positive, then what do you do and how do you go out and perform at a, an appropriate level as a team? You only have so many players um, available to you. It could diminish the, the product on the field uh, based on who's available to play. And so those things are, are, are concerning. So it's even less for me, just even testing protocols. It's if you test positive, what happens to the, to, to the games into the season? Um, do you put kids at risk now all of a sudden that a senior who was supposed to play now is out two weeks and now you have to play a freshman who wasn't prepared to go out? That, that, that answers a lot of complexities. On Demetrius, did he want to play from, you know, your conversations with him? Does he understand this decision? Uh, you know, so he and I haven't spoken since the news officially broke. We've sent texts, but we haven't had a, an opportunity to have an, an official conversation. I know he was interested in playing, but as uh, the, the kids also wanted to know, have these things answered as well. They wanted to know how, how would this function? Um, and so I think they will understand that. And like I started off with this call, 
you will be disappointed because this is something you are accustomed to doing. Um, but with all the uncertainty, everything that's played out um, globally, not just within the U.S., uh, there's also a side that understands. But you have to balance emotion with just logic, right? And that's what we're battling right now. Let's say that Demetrius was playing for an SEC school or an ACC or a Big 12. Now, maybe it's inevitable, Omar, that, that those conferences get to this point. But right now, they're not there. So who knows? Maybe the SEC has football come September. If your son were at an SEC school and he was allowed to play, would you allow him to play? If the questions that I had were answered, absolutely, I would let him play. So it depends on those questions being answered and understanding how this is going to operate. So I have yet not seen answers to those questions myself on, again, if a if multiple student athletes test positive, what happens? What happens to the quality of the product on the field? I don't know those answers. I haven't seen what they've uh, put out there to explain that um, thus far. So I'd want to see those answers. Um, yeah. Didn't the Gophers have some positive tests in June? I mean, as, as a whole, the athletic department released numbers. They didn't break it yeah. down by sport. Yeah. I was led to believe that the football team may have had a positive test or two. I don't know if you know that or not, but I'm curious mm -hmm. if they did. I mean, what sort of protocols were followed back in June? Yeah, yeah you know, I'd have to look at, you'd have to talk to the, to the staff about that specifically in terms of, you know, what they had, how that's played out, so on and so forth. I will say um, in this society, <laughs> no matter where you go, no matter what you do, people are at risk of, 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 of catching this disease, transmitting this disease. And so, um, and where I agree with a lot of folks, a place that these kids are the safest, if you actually, if and when you do catch it, is um, with the program, right? They have access to medical staff, so on and so forth, to help care for them. Um, and they will get priority in a lot of ways to help do that. So that's the safest place to be if you catch it. Uh, but everyone's at risk of, of, of catching this. And so it's, it's, it's complex. And I'm trying to stay away from overly politicizing this because this has become a, a political conversation when it really shouldn't be. It should be about safety, physical safety, psychological safety. I said that somewhere else. And then I also understand the economic implications of this as well. You're right. I mean, it's incredibly complex. But I think you're also right that, that the safest place for a lot of these guys, if not all, is, is in that, you know, quote unquote, football bubble. Like, it's not like these kids are just going to stay in their apartments and not interact with, with the rest of society, you know, with everything ramping up on campuses starting in September, even if a lot of the classes are done online. I'm just thinking with some testing in place with that, with that bubble of the football team, like, I don't know. I think for a lot of these kids, I'm not speaking about Demetrius specifically, but I just think for a lot of kids, Omar, it might make some sense to have the structure of football this fall. And so, and that's why I want to, this is all nuanced, right? And so, and I was being specific about from a medical care standpoint, if you, if you come down with COVID, that's the best place to be. I still don't want to understand for every campus, every campus isn't a bubble, right? So if these kids are going to school, well, what are their classmates doing in terms of that? So I can't guarantee that every school is a perfect place necessarily to be there. You have to understand that whole ecosystem of what's the school doing to protect as well as then what are the programs doing to protect. But I absolutely agree from a medical support standpoint, if a kid gets sick, most kids are uh, probably best served being on campus given the access they have to medical care um, through that standpoint. So it, it's nuanced and it's complex. What about your roller coaster of emotions? I mean, it was just a week ago where the revised schedule comes out, right? This 10 game schedule, the Gophers at Indiana, practice starts on Friday. Heck, Demetrius was on the practice field today, right? But now we don't have football in the fall. It's just, it's been a roller coaster even the last week. 
and so I, and I think that's well, and all, all, all apologies to the media too. It's like we we have to <laughs> we have to be in more control over our emotions and be thoughtful about how we ebb and flow through this. We knew there were a bunch of unknowns. I can appreciate what the Big Ten, the NCAA has been trying to do is let's go as far as we can until we um, have definitive information or not have that information before we can make a call. I've not gotten too hung up on one thing or another. I just assumed within a few weeks of the season starting, they'll make a decision and I don't ping ball, <laughs> ping pong back and forth of today it's this, today it's this, tomorrow's this. Don't worry about that. And you can't do that in your day-to-day -day life either. Because if you do, you'll be a mess, right? And so we have to all uh, protect ourselves from that, um, that, th that emotional yo-yo. Where do you stand on the idea of football in the spring? I mean, that would be an interesting 2021, would it not? I mean, I'm curious <laughs> about eligibility. Like, would they play a condensed schedule like March to May and then start up again in the fall? Like, that's a lot for a football <laughs> player, right? You're, you're spot on. There, there's a lot to it. There's absolutely a lot to it. But they have spring ball. Granted, they only play one game. Um, but the kids do go out and, and they get involved in activity. We've now pushed it out. And this is, again, why people – were being slow to make a call, they understood you add a whole nother set of complexities if you push it out to the spring, because now you have a, a challenge for the 2021 fall season, but they'll figure that out and you may be impacting now two seasons, right? They may condense the second fall season as well as the spring season. So there's a lot of things to be de determined, but at the end of the day, it may be the right thing to do and you'll, you'll have more information come spring. So or we'll hope that you will have more information come spring. Is your family's plan to have Demetrius stay here in the Twin Cities? It sounds like the coaches will be able to work with the players. This per Barry Alvarez on a Zoom call with, with media a little bit ago that, that, that the coaches will get like 20 hours a week with the players. So, you know, from your family standpoint, will you have Demetrius just stay here in the Twin Cities? If the classes are online, so be it, and spend those 20 hours a week with the coaching staff? Yeah, more than likely that will be the outcome. Again, I still need a chance to speak with my son about it, understand some more details from, from the administration. But he's a student athlete, not just an athlete. And so there's an academic side. Where is he best served from an academic standpoint? Is it all virtual? Is anything going to be in person? I just want to understand all those questions as well. Um, we're fortunate from a family standpoint. We lived in the Twin Cities for a long time. We still uh, have a home there and we, can, we travel back and forth um, um, to that residence at, from time to time as well. So we're in a different circumstance and situation. So it's unique to our, our, our context versus what someone else may want to do. I'll leave you with this. What just sort of gut punch is this? I mean, even with the Rashad Bateman news, there was still a lot back, right? And your son was, was going to be one of the top receivers, quarterbacks back, the offensive lines back. Like, there was a lot to celebrate potentially on the field coming off the 11-win season with a roster good enough, Omar, to absolutely win the Big Ten West. Who knows? Maybe win the Big Ten championship game in December, get to Pasadena, and now that's, that's all gone. Yeah, it is. And again, you have to, you know, and Coach Fleck talks about a lot of these things. It's all about your, your mindset you bring to this. It's like, okay, we have the cards that have been, that have been dealt to us. Now what are we going to do? You got to move forward. I use Coach Fleck. You got to keep rolling, right? And figure out what the next thing is you're going to do. Um, that applies in anything you're doing. It's not just a football concept. It's not a football mantra. It is a life mantra. And you just have to move forward. Disappointment, yes, but now we know what direction we're headed and we just have to keep moving forward. You know what, on that, just on Fleck, I mean, how happy are you that, that PJ is the guy leading this football team, leading your son, that, that, you know, it could be any number of individuals in that position, but just based on what you know about PJ so far, 
that he's the right person to help these kids navigate this tough situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the things he's done. Um, I have a lot of confidence. I have all the confidence in the world in Coach Fleck and how he's navigating and leading the, uh, the students, uh, student athletes. We also have to understand we're in this, go back to society, we're in this moment where um, if anyone does anything wrong or anything that we disagree with, we all of a sudden, I won't, I won't go as far as cancel, but we, we, we don't give people any grace or space <laughs> for any variation, right? And so all things being said, all things being equal, I have all the confidence in what Coach Fleck has done. He's doing the right things. He cares about the kids. He cares about the players. He cares about the program. Um, and he cares about the state. And so that's all you can ask for. Gophers legend Omar Douglas, his son Demetrius, is a current wide receiver on the Gophers. I also talked last week with Pete Najarian and Daryl Thompson. Why don't I do this? I talked to both last Monday before the news was official, but it was trending in the direction of the Big Ten canceling fall sports, including football. Let me replay my conversation now with Pete Najarian, another Gophers legend. If you want to hear, or I guess see, Daryl Thompson's thoughts, kstp.com backslash sports or do a Google search. My name, Darren Wolfson, Daryl Thompson, Big Ten, no false sports reaction, whatever you want to do keywords wise, you can find the Daryl Thompson Zoom interview on kstp.com. But let me replay now my conversation from early last week with Pete Najarian. It seems inevitable. I mean, it seems like the official announcement will come on Tuesday, but the Detroit Free Press is the latest media outlet to come out here on Monday and say, no football for the Big Ten come the fall. So it seems inevitable. As I say that, Pete, your thoughts? Well, I drop my head only because I know what it's like to be one of those players and the commitment that it takes. And everybody uh, uh, probably does understand this now, but I think for people that don't fully get it, uh, this is a commitment that's a 24-hour a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And these players at the high school, college, and then obviously the NFL level, um, you're preparing and you're preparing for battle and you're excited. And this is potentially even maybe uh, uh, could be a professional level thing for a lot of guys. Uh, so it's just got to be so devastating and so disappointing. I can't imagine because it's, um, you know, this is something that a lot of us trained our whole lives. And obviously, you know, school is first. I get all that. But when it comes to the sports side of things, a lot of the guys have picked the University of Minnesota or whatever school they may be at for, for the reasons that we've got P.J. Fleck. We're 11-2. and two. We just beat Auburn in a bowl game. And now if there's no season, uh, man, that's just a tough pill to swallow. Help me with this, Pete. And maybe you can't, but maybe you have an opinion on this. So just last week, we get the revised schedule, right? The Gophers add Indiana. It's a 10-game schedule. The Gophers hit the practice field for the start of summer camp on Friday. Why do that, right? Like, this didn't just come out of thin air. I don't think the MAC deciding what it did over the weekend all of a sudden spurred these Big Ten presidents to say, okay, we need to shut things down. So why, why go through the process of announcing the schedule last week, exciting, presumably exciting the kids, right? Yeah. Then hitting the practice field. I get it, not in pads or anything, but hitting the practice field on Friday now all of a sudden to pull the plug. I just don't get it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but I do kind of get it from the aspect of there's a sliver of hope and maybe there was still just that sliver remaining, but it was something that obviously the talks were going on and, and the conversations were being had and a lot of decisions were most likely going to be for this decision that they're not going to play. But 
with just that little bit of hope, I can understand that. I mean, that, this is who P.J. Fleck is. Uh, he's a guy who wants to push it. And I think he probably, rightly so, I would have done the same. Hey, until they tell us we're not playing, we're going to act like we're ready and we are going to do all the process that's normal, the closest thing to normalcy we can be. So um, I don't fault anybody. I, I think that they did everything right. They were hopeful, uh, but probably knew the actual answer would be coming this week. Trevor Lawrence was vocal on, on social media. Others have brought this up, that, that being in the facility, being around your teammates, yeah. might be as safe an environment as any for these guys. A lot of these guys now may end up back wherever. Yeah. It's not like they're going to be socially distancing themselves from others. Like, is there something to be said about the idea of, of having these guys together in a controlled environment, so then thus allowing the football season to take place? Yeah, I understand that, and I love Trevor. I think he's a competitor. I think this guy, he's a great kid. Everything I've ever read about him, you just like him, and you, you want to pull, pull for the guy because he seems to say and do things the right way. I think the reality is, though, you know, when you're going from, from different city to different city, you're going to play some games places, and, and let's be honest, there is no sport quite like football, maybe wrestling, but, but like football where you are right on top of, right in front, and you're face-to-face, and you're grabbing and clutching. And, uh, you know, I just think the schools don't want to feel like I'm the school that said we're going to say yes, we're going to push this thing, and some poor guy gets COVID and unfortunately maybe passes away. I don't think schools wanted to put themselves in that position. So as much as I agree with everything about the safety, and I think he's right, uh, it's probably safer than any other environment for these guys. But at the same time, when you're playing at Michigan or you're going to Ohio State and you, you're playing a football game, you just there is that chance. And I think that's what the coaches uh, and the schools probably just don't want to take that chance. Are you amazed, though? I mean, it's not just Trevor. I mean, it was a number of guys on social media saying, we want to play. Yeah. I just saw, Pete, I just saw an Ohio State linebacker say, hey, can we somehow play in the SEC this year? There was another report, Pete, suggesting that Nebraska and Iowa and Michigan and Ohio State might might investigate maybe trying to play in the Big 12 this year. Like it's have, all it's just it's all over the place. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that. I love the I love the enthusiasm that these guys I would be the same way. I, my passion would be, hey, look, if if we can, if there's any way it can happen, we'll play in the SEC, the ACC, we'll go to the Big 12, we'll go wherever we can play. You know, I have friends here in Minnesota who have kids high school age that when they heard last week that they're going to cut off the high school season's not going to go till the spring, they're shopping around states to go to to play football. They're looking at Arizona. They're looking at Georgia. They're looking at Florida. So, uh, you know, they want to play. I get it. My passion would be I would want to play. I would if, if I could convince my dad and I was in this position – uh, or, or convince maybe the coach that we could go into a division and maybe somehow figure out a, a way to schedule with the SEC, I'd be all in. But, you know, it's, uh, the schools are doing what they think is the right thing, and uh, I just don't know how to unpack that now other than just to say it's a shame. It's, it's going to be something we're all going to be very, very sad and disappointed not to be able to have on Saturdays. I, I can't even imagine it. I, I, you know, it's uh, – Football is the, probably one of the biggest things in my life still to this day. I'm 56 years old. I love it. And I love every second of college football, more so even than the NFL. So for me, this is a huge blow. Your daughter, correct me if I'm wrong, was, was an athlete at Nebraska, right? She was, yes. Yeah. Okay, so 
if if she was told, hey, we're playing, put yourself in in you know those shoes of of dad when she was an athlete. But if she came to you and said, hey, we're playing and I want to play, would you allow her to play? A hundred percent. But you know, everybody's got a different side of it and everything. But uh, you know, I, I if she was adamant about it, I'd be adamant for her. It's a, it's an experience like no other. I get it. There are risks. Um, and you have to balance off what those risks are. But when I do balance off age and a lot of different factors and, and health and everything else, uh, yes, I would give her a thumbs up right away. Being the money man that you are, I mean, think about the financial impact of this yeah. decision, right? Unbelievable. I, I've heard numbers about $75 million for the Gophers. Uh, I think it's probably even higher than that, quite frankly. Uh, but it's amazing. And, and the difficult part is going to be, how do you ever make up for that? Uh, you know, football generates uh, the, the largest by uh, country mile portion of the revenue for the University of Minnesota. Basketball helps along with uh, hockey. But, you know, there's a lot of sports over there. And if the, if the revenue is not coming in, it's going to be a really difficult thing going into the future. And I don't envy right now Mr. Coyle because that's going to be a tough spot. They're going to have to figure out how do they – generate the capital to be able to compete and continue with all the different teams, men's and women's, going forward. It's going to be really difficult. The Minnesota sports fan, Pete, has taken a lot of punches to the gut over the years, many examples. But think about Gophers football, right? You laid it out, right? The bowl went over Auburn, all the players coming back. I mean, normal circumstances, Rashad Bateman doesn't declare for the draft last week. He would have played. Like, this seemingly was the year to win the West. And I get it. The Badgers look like they have a good team. Nebraska might be better. Iowa still has some guys. But this seemingly looked like the year to win the West. Maybe yeah. win a Big Ten championship. Maybe get to Pasadena. And now that's that's gone. It's so sad. You're so right. I, I'm smiling only because I feel like crying. I, I really – and 11-2 football team last year. They were everything of that 11-2. and two. That wasn't by luck. That was because they persevered when the difficult times came, and they actually might have been had, a, had a better chance even in the two losses, I think, to, to turn those into wins. So we were a legitimate football team. We were legitimately the team in the West. We got our quarterback. We've got all these athletes. We've got this offensive line. We've got a great defense. The coordinator's done an unbelievable job, I think, since taking over. All the pieces are there. And then to have the rug pulled out when there's a shot, and, you know, you just – those shots in life are not always going to be there to go to the Rose Bowl, to win the Big Ten, to go to, to win the West and go to the Big Ten title game. I mean, these are all dreams that we all have. And, you know, I'm passionate about it. I love it. You know that I was up for the athletic director job here. It's the only job I would ever take other than what I do would be that job. So that's why I, I at least gave it the consideration and they considered me and all the rest of it. But you know, my passion's there, but I, the disappointment is really, really high. It's difficult to swallow because this is the year for the Gophers, and it looks like it's going to get pulled away. You talk about not envying, you know, the position that Mark Coyle is in. What about P.J. Fleck? Could you imagine, Pete, that team meeting when he has to tell his team, we are not playing football this fall? I can't imagine it because I've never heard those words. I, you know, I'm 56 years old. I played since I and since they let me play. I begged to play younger, but they wouldn't let me. But I played football at the park board, Lyndhurst, right in South Minneapolis. That's where I started. And, you know, I remember the teams we played at Pearl Park and, you know, all these different places around the city. 
I mean, this, this is part of my life, a huge part of my life. And, and I can't imagine being a, a kid sitting in there who's 18 or 22 years old and, you know, have all these aspirations. Not everybody wants to play in the NFL or has the ability to play in the NFL, but to play a season in the Big Ten and compete for a title. And it's not PJ's fault, but PJ's got to get up there and deliver this awful message and tell everybody, hey, look, I know you worked your tails off. You guys are in the best shape you could ever be in. We were shooting for 13-0, and 14-0, whatever the number would be, but we're not going to get that chance. It's just uh, I don't envy PJ on that, and, and like I said, Mark Coyle's a wonderful guy. I think he's done a great job. Um, I don't envy him either because he has to look at all these coaches and pass that word down to all of them as well and then to the athletes themselves. I'll let you go after this. So now who knows how accurate some of these reports are, Pete, but you know, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC – seem to be in one category, then it's the Pac-12 and the Big Ten in, in another category. Wouldn't it make sense if the Power Fives could all come together and maybe just make an announcement together that there just isn't going to be football this fall? I think that yes is the easy answer, but I think uh, that, that that would make a lot of sense. But I got to tell you, uh, I'm not so positive that these guys aren't still in that thought-provoking time of are we going to still play? And, and you know, it, it's like you were asking about, well, PJ went out to practice and it was just this past Friday and now we're getting the idea that, or the, the word that it's going to cancel the season. Well, I got to tell you, I, I think that these other leagues are actually considering still playing. I think it's somewhere potentially there. Doesn't mean it's for sure. It doesn't mean they're not going to cancel just like everybody else. But I think the reality is, I think they're seriously considering that the season is not over yet. And, and that's probably why a lot of these players are pushing for the idea of, hey, I'm at Ohio State. Let's get to the SEC. How do we work this out that we can play? <laughs> um, you know, that just shows you the passion, though, of football. And, and I know all sports are like this, but I'll tell you what, there is something special in my mind about football and the physicality that goes into that sport and all the blood, sweat, and tears that go into it that when the rug gets pulled out, you don't want to be pulled out. You still want to get up and still do it. And, and, and I think that's the passion that these guys are displaying right now. If I had told you a year ago, if we had been talking on August 10th of 2019, yeah. that on August 10th, 2020, we'd be talking about this pandemic, that the season wouldn't happen, like, what the heck would you have told me? I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> I really, I, I would have thought you were out of your mind. I, I, I couldn't have imagined this situation. I can tell you this, back in March, when we were really going through the thick of things, I was trying to decide by September, how will things look? What will the season look like for college, for pro, for all the different sports? Um, I never in a, in a million years thought we would get to this point where we are seeing what we are seeing right now. And baseball games having to be canceled and, and seasons, whole seasons being canceled. It's just, um, it was something I never could have imagined. Uh, it's, it really is sad because I know how much the coaches, the players all put into this. It is, like I say, a 24-7, 365 deal. And to have the rug pulled out is, is just, um, it's, it's, I'm still stunned by it, to be honest with you. Pete, thank you. Your insight is gold. Stay safe, okay? Appreciate it, Dewey. Take care, man. My guy, one of my favorite people, Pete Najarian. That was done last Monday before the Big Ten News was made official on Tuesday. Then the Pac-12 later in the day made their news official. But at this point, with the SEC announcing its schedule 
what was it earlier today or is it officially later tonight? Anyway, the SEC is announcing its revised schedule that things are moving forward. SEC, ACC, Big 12. What a complete cluster. Also, Pete said that he believes the estimate of $75 million by Mark Coyle back in May is a little on the light side. For comparison's sake, Iowa announced earlier today that it looks at its lost revenue at $100 million. Now, a little bit of apples and oranges when thinking about Kinnick Stadium, the amount of money that the Iowa football program brings in compared to Minnesota, a little bit of apples and oranges, but that's a pretty good comparison to make. I think the point is that 75 is light. Is it 80? Is it 85 million? Is it 90 million? Maybe it's not 100 million like Iowa says it is for its program, but the number is going to be enormous. Whatever the final number is in terms of lost revenue from no Minnesota sports in the fall, it is going to be through the roof. So, so unfortunate. I think, unfortunately, the way this thing is trending is the Gophers right now have, what, 25 sanctioned NCAA sports. I just don't know when most of those sports are non-revenue sports how the Gophers can keep funding a lot of these sports. The landscape of college sports, specifically here in Minnesota, is going to change drastically in the coming years. All right, we are done. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 310 on this Monday, the 17th of August. Stay safe, stay sane.